This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Support for the Juice on the Cues podcast comes from Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. Get 20% off and free shipping with code BIGHEADS at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code BIGHEADS. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the close of the 2019 football season and major struggles for the Syracuse basketball team. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com. Chris, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Wes. Chris, I want to get you started on this one. About four months ago, we were talking about Syracuse as a possible challenger to Clemson, a team that could sneak into the Orange Bowl, play in a New Year's Six game. And now here we are in December, and Syracuse isn't even in a bowl game, finishing the season at 5-7. and seven. What do you think was the cause of the down season relative to the lofty expectations coming in? Oh man, (laughs) it's crazy to think about. Um, (laughs) You know, I think the biggest thing, um, and there were many reasons why they weren't going to reach that point. So we were wrong in a lot of areas, but, but the biggest thing was the offensive line um, just being as bad as it was um, last in the ACC and sacks. Um, You know, I do think that the, the offensive struggles kind of sapped some of the morale from the defense at, at times. And I do think that's also, and we should all learn this lesson, you know, that is one of the hardest things for your local journalists to judge. Um, We don't get a whole lot of practice time anymore, (laughs) much less than we used to. And it's really, really hard for us to judge offensive line play, especially in kind of the time that we get. Um, So we're all sort of guessing, you know, we all thought the offensive line would be okay. And it, it just wasn't. And, you know, um, it's just something that whenever any of us make preseason predictions, you know, all your listeners should kind of be wary that when we're judging offensive lines, that's, that's something not many of us know a whole lot about. Chris, you know, another area that's going to need to be addressed in the off season is defensive coordinator. Brian Ward was fired midway through the season. I want to get your take on the type of defensive coordinator Syracuse should hire. Do they go with a tweak defensive coordinator and stay in that Tampa two, or do you think they go, wholesale change in philosophy and go back to a Scott Schaefer aggressive blitzing scheme. I don't want to blame a ton of it on the scheme. I think, you know, Timo Babers has even said this, that, that they can all work. Um, but I, I mean, I think just most part, most players, most fans um, are partial to a blitzing scheme where, where you try to get after the opponent. Uh, you know, I, I think Syracuse is kind of not, I think they're always going to kind of struggle to get consistent stops. So, and blitzing is your best way to kind of create big plays and turnovers occasionally. I know Syracuse forced a lot of turnovers last year with the zone system, you know, but I, I just, you know, it's just a gut feeling, right? You'd rather be aggressive than, than kind of passive. Um, I don't know that that's the right answer. I don't know that that's factually accurate, but from just from my perspective, I'd rather be a team that gets after the opponent versus kind of sits back and waits for that, that team to make a mistake. 
Chris, Syracuse graduates a bunch of key starters in the offseason, guys like Sterling Hoffrichter, Moniel, Kendall Coleman, Antoine Cordy. What are some of the biggest areas of concern heading into the next season with the roster turnover? Well, the, the big reason that the defense struggled this year, um, it struggled most against teams that could run the ball. Um, they were really hurt badly by Maryland running the ball, even though Maryland turned out couldn't run the ball against anybody else. But, you know, they ran the ball against Syracuse. <laughs> Boston College had a great running game. Um, Louisville had a great running game. And those were the teams that really kind of embarrassed the Syracuse defense. Um, Syracuse had two new linebackers um, this year. They're going to have two new linebackers next year. Um, you know, in freshman uh, Mikel Jones, they really like. Um, but those are going to be new guys. Um, so you've got that. And you also have three of four starters to replace on the defensive line including both defensive ends, Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, um, you know, who, who we really liked coming into this year and, and maybe underperformed. Um, but I think a lot of it stems from Syracuse's inability to stop the run, which made it harder on those, those kind of pure pass-rushing guys. Um, now, Syracuse has had linebackers, new linebackers, and I think we were also spoiled by this, and we missed this uh, as media members. Syracuse has done a good job many times bringing in new linebackers and not really kind of missing a beat. Um, that obviously didn't happen this year. You know, they're going to have to find a way to do it next year with, with new linebackers and kind of holding up against the run. Now, Chris, it's obviously not all doom and gloom for this team. There certainly were some bright spots and strengths on this team, and there's lots of talent returning. So what are the positions of strength? The offensive line certainly got better later in the year. Um, they gave up a lot fewer sacks. They, they ran the ball pretty well. Um, they did it against defenses that weren't very good against the run. So, so how much of that was an improvement versus how much of that was who they played? You know, we'll find out a little bit next year. But they looked a lot better kind of once Carlos Vettorello moved from tackle to center and Aaron Service went from center to tackle. Um, that was a position change they wanted to make, but it kind of held up uh, as Vetterello, a true freshman, kind of learned how to, you know, snap the ball and do the communication from the center spot. So they finally got there, and the offense looked better. That is a positive sign that kind of maybe that weakness can be improved. Um, Christian Jackson had a really good season at wide receiver. He'll be back. Um, Tommy DeVito, when he had time to throw, was pretty good. Um, now, there were a lot of times he didn't have time to throw, and he looked bad. So, again, that goes back to the offensive line. But, you know, if they can give him more time, he's a guy that does make the throws. Um, you know, so there's that. And then, you know, the, the secondary, uh, you know, you kind of ended the season with Trill with Tri Williams making that rip away, fumble recovery for a touchdown, sudden death in overtime. You know, Syracuse does have – three really good defensive backs coming next year as juniors. Um, so you like the defensive backfield if they can force teams to throw. And Chris, we'll get you out of here on this one. It's early considering the 2019 season just ended over the weekend, but I want to look forward to 2020. Do you see Syracuse as a team that rebounds and gets back into a bowl game next year, or is it another season on the bubble? Um, you know, I think it's going to be on the bubble. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, but I would be a little bit like, and, and maybe it's Lucy in the football, and, and I keep kicking it. But I do think that they're going to sneak in kind of at, at six and six. Um, the schedule is pretty weak next year again. 
Um, they have Rutgers. They have Liberty. Um, and I think that kind of their division, Boston College is going to have a new coach. Wake Forest loses a lot of their senior talent. Um, North Carolina State was not very good this year. Um, Georgia Tech is the crossover opponent. They won three games this year. So I think the schedule sets up favorably for Syracuse to at least kind of scratch and claw its way to the sixth win level. Maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe they'll be a lot better. Um, but I do like their chances of kind of going to a lower-level bowl next year. Chris, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Again, our friend Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com doing a great job of covering the football team. Chris, enjoy the offseason. We'll speak with you in 2020. Thanks, Wes. Had fun. Always enjoy speaking with my friend Chris, a guy I've known since our daily orange days. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes, uh, as what can be expected with what's happened with the football team not going bowling. And, of course, as we're going to talk about the basketball team and the struggles out of the gate. Boy, Brad, struggles out of the gate may even be an understatement. Syracuse lost 68-54 to in the ACC Big Ten Challenge to Iowa. This is the fourth double-digit loss to a Power 6 team to start the year. Brad, this is as bad a Syracuse team as I've seen in the Jim Beheim era. This is the first time in his long story tenure that Syracuse has started 4-4. Four and four. I think it's time to sound the alarm that it's going to be a brutal 1920 season. Wes, I think this is really the worst I have seen in my 45 years following Syracuse basketball. I've been really thinking hard and long about this. I was one season with Roy Danforth of Bayheim's final year as an assistant, and then his entire career. The seasons that jump out to me are 81, 82, and 96, 97. But I think what we're seeing now, it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. Seeing all the empty seats in the dome for the Iowa game, the record at four and four, and what's upcoming. I'm really kind of numb, Wes. That's the word I'm not. I just cannot believe how this is starting to snowball with the program. I'm tracing it back to the 25-game winning streak in 14. That season ended with a dud in the loss to Dayton in Buffalo. Certainly the bright moment, Malachi Richardson making the Final Four in 16. But other than that, and, and, you know, the bright run, the, the, the Sweet 16, losing to Duke in Omaha, but I'm really, you know, wondering the direction of the program and not just the 4-4 four and four record this year where it's going to end up, but what we're going to see now going into the 2020s. Brad, you just mentioned it. We're several years into the downturn of Syracuse basketball. This year didn't happen in isolation. It's been going on for the last few years now. Syracuse in the early 2010s was a consistent top 25 team and was number one for various stretches of time and a consistent Final Four threat. Where do you trace the genesis of this? Well, I think there are two elements. One's aggressive and one's not being aggressive. The aggressive element, I think, goes back to the whole Fab Mello incident with Daryl Gross still in charge and the sanctions that resulted, no doubt in my mind, hurt recruiting and not only the scholarship reductions, but hurt the Syracuse brand name on the recruiting trail, not being able to get the quality top athletes, the five-star, four-stars, star, whatever you want to call them. 
uh, into the program. That's one. And the second is not being aggressive enough in wrapping up Mike Hopkins to be the next head coach at Syracuse, plain and simple. The fact that, that Jen Cohen was able to come in from the University of Washington, put her pitch together, and move him out of the program after the, the much ballyhooed successor in waiting was announced, the, the, the more conservative nature of how Syracuse University has been in, in its dealings with, with you know, issues that we can go back and look, not, not only in sports, but in, in general uh, campus issues, more, more conservative, not moving as fast, I, I think is going to come back here as they try to now find a successor eventually to Jim Beheim. So I, I think it's those two things. And then some other bad luck, injuries, players transferring, players leaving after eligibility. But, but, but really, those two things from a cause and effect standpoint, West stand out to me. Brad, we just look backward at what went wrong. So I want to look forward at what can be done. Do you see this getting better anytime soon? Or do you think whole scale changes need to be made before Syracuse becomes the elite program that they once were? I really think you're going to have to look at changes because if not, what I think is going to happen is the same thing that happened with Syracuse lacrosse. They dominated for a long time, and then the sport changed, and college basketball has changed. There are a lot of great players, and they're spread out all around the country. Same thing we've been saying about for lacrosse, and it's turned into a three-point shooting game, and it's turned into where you need a couple of one-and-done or two-and-done type of players to be competing for a national championship. And, of course, you need an excellent coaching staff, the facilities, and and, and all of that. But let's face it, Wes, Syracuse makes a lot of money in the basketball program, a lot of money. And with that, you expect success. So I think there are going to have to be changes, and I think it's really going to be John Wildack's you know, first major test of his, you know, administration. One was, you know, he re-upped Jim Beheim when Mike Hopkins left, but I alluded to that, you know, a few minutes ago that they let him slip away. And now he's going to have to take a really long look at the program moving into the 2020s, the type of athlete they need to recruit Syracuse to meet all the criteria, the new renovated dome that's upcoming here for, for, from that aspect. Uh, they'll keep adding on to the facilities at the Mellow Center into the next decade. So I, I really think they're going to have to take a long look. And, and I also do make the comparison to Louisville. I mean, with Denny Crum, two national championships, uh, his place in, in college basketball, history secured, uh, a legend at Louisville. Eventually they stopped winning. Eventually the program starts to get what people perceive to be a stale and in their case, you know, they went and got somebody available, Rick Pacino. I'm not going to use that kind of analogy for Syracuse, but they're going to have to look for the type of coach that has some sort of connection to the program, if possible, but is going to be a 2020s new generation type of coach. Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, with the football team not going to a bowl game, and as we've been discussing basketball, hoping for the best a postseason bid to the NIT or, you know, if they can get uh, the season together in the ACC. But maybe it's going to be lacrosse that we can look forward to, Wes. And the lacrosse schedule is out now for 2020. And, of course, with the dome renovations affecting basketball as well, lacrosse will have a top-heavy schedule early in February, four home games in that month, but then six of the final eight on the road. So important for the 2020 Syracuse lacrosse team to come out 
charging out of the gate with a good record in the home games before having a more difficult schedule in the end. And this year, the ACC tournament is only four teams. The number one seed will host it. So uh, maybe it'll be lacrosse. That's something we can look forward to come Memorial. And Brad, my closing thoughts are on Carmelo Anthony, just named Western Conference Player of the Week after he averaged 22 points and almost eight rebounds in three games last week. Just really nice to see Carmelo effective again after what he's been through the last few seasons. I hope Carmelo can continue to be as effective as the season goes on. I think he's got Comeback Player of the Year written all over him. That's it for us for Bad Beerman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that arch enemies are more common than arch acquaintances. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.